I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Leviticus chapters 11 through 13. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. We begin chapter 11 with foods that you just can't eat if you are an observant Jew. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, it is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you. You shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever in the water does not have fins or scales, that shall be an abomination to you. And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite and the falcon after its kind, every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the fisher owl, and the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, and the carrion vulture." the stork, the heron after its kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. Now, interesting reading here. For those believers today who still believe that we're supposed to keep the law of Moses as believers, try this chapter on for size. This chapter gives us a list of foods that the Hebrews were permitted to eat and another list that they were not permitted to eat. If you have Jewish acquaintances, you may hear them refer to kosher foods. Kosher or kashrut comes from the Hebrew word kal sher, which means fit, proper, or correct. The word kosher can also be used and often is used to describe ritual objects that are made in accordance with Jewish law and thus are fit for ritual use. 
Now, here's a breakdown that I've provided on the written notes of BibleTrack.org of food that the observant Jew today will and will not eat based on whether they're kosher or non-kosher. And just look that list over on the written notes. I won't read through that list because we just read them in the passage. And, of course, there are some added to here uh, with regard to um, oral traditions that have been passed down through the years that the observant Jew adheres to. Now, you notice in the list that I provided that some of the foods mentioned are not found in Leviticus chapter 11. For that reason, many Messianic Christians today support the observance of kosher laws as specified in Scripture, but not those foods which are not specified in Scripture. This practice is referred to commonly as Torah kosher. And that, by the way, is in contrast with rabbinical kosher as specified in the list that I've provided in the written notes of BibleTrack.org. This larger list, the rabbinical kosher list, uh, it came through rabbinical tradition rather than Old Testament scripture. You'll also find the list of clean and unclean foods in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, by the way, the word abomination, notice it's used 10 times in this passage with regard to the eating of certain foods. Now, that's an interesting problem for those people who insist that we as Gentiles are responsible for keeping God's law given to the Hebrews and yet don't follow these guidelines on diet. This designation of meat that is unclean, it's not new here. You'll recall that Adam and Eve apparently started out as vegetarians back in Genesis chapter 1. We see that in verses 29 and 30. Yet, when Noah was loading the ark with animals, God gave specific ark-loading instructions to Noah regarding clean and unclean animals. He did so in Genesis chapter 7 verse 2. It's actually not until after the ark experience that we see the first occurrence of a meat diet per God's instructions in Genesis chapter 9 verses 2 and 3. And that was as part of the Noahic covenant. So the differentiation of which animals are okay to eat or actually not goes back to Noah, all the way back to Noah. And as a side note, I find it interesting that so many Christians that are insistent that we need to be keeping the law of Moses, yet they love their seafood and they love their pork. And then we have some instructions on animals not to even touch. Don't even touch these things in Leviticus chapter 11, beginning with verse 24. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot, but is not cloven-hoofed, or does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws, among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is in any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, 
whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water, and it shall be unclean until evening, then it shall be clean. Any earthen vessel into which any of them falls you shall break, and whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean, and any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean, whether it is an oven or a cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if a part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It's also interesting to notice here that the Hebrews are told that they're considered unclean until evening if they even touch the carcass of an unclean animal. That instruction first appears in this chapter in verse 8, but is repeated with great detail in verses 24 through 40. That means that for the remainder of the day, after touching the carcass of an unclean animal, the Hebrew was not to make physical contact with another Hebrew, not until that day had passed. You'll also notice the discussion of unclean animals coming into contact with vessels. The considerations in view here revolve around whether or not the vessels have porosity and whether or not they are wet or dry. Uh, these very detailed regulations are provided as guidelines to prevent their cookware from absorbing the impurities of unclean animals. And then we have the wrap-up on unclean animals in verses 41 through 47. Verse 41, And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God." You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the waters, and of every creature that creeps on the earth, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. These last seven verses of chapter 11 make a strong emphasis regarding the importance of these unclean animal mandates. You can see how much emphasis is placed on them for these Hebrews, an inseparable part, by the way, of the Mosaic Law. Now, Peter actually quotes from Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45, when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, the following, But as he who called you is holy, you also will be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Then we get... Uh, the specifications for women in their childbearing years, with a slight twist here. 
verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification sixty-six days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has borne a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. Now you'll notice that the period of ceremonial uncleanness, which means no contact with sacred things, for the Hebrew woman here, after bearing a male child, was 40 days, but 80 days after bearing a female child, we don't know why there's a difference. You'll also notice that during the first seven days for a male child and 14 days for a female, no contact was to be made by the mother with others whatsoever. She was considered altogether unclean. Now, it seems apparent that God gave the Jews a heads up on a disease that claimed the lives of as many as 20% of all women who bore children prior to the 19th century. This disease was called childbed fever back then, and today it's known as peripheral fever. It was observed that women who were isolated from others, like home deliveries, rarely were infected, but women who went to a hospital for delivery had the highest incident of death from this disease. After extended research in the 19th century by the Hungarian doctor Ignaz Semmelweis on the disease, he was able to determine that it was the contact with others after childbirth that caused the women to contract an infection which was often fatal. He discovered that the use of soap and water was not sufficient to remove dangerous bacteria from the hands of hospital staff caring for these women after childbirth. The greater the contact of these new mothers with people, the greater likelihood they had of contracting this disease. The extended period of ceremonial uncleanness in this passage for the women after the 7 or 14 days of total isolation was probably as much for the benefit of the child as for the mother. During this extended period, her contact with others in public places was significantly reduced, even though she was not totally isolated. This disease, purple fever, still exists today, though uncommon due to the use of antibacterial soaps and gloves. However, millennia before the use of special soaps and gloves, God knew that the best way to protect moms and babies was to keep them isolated for several days after childbirth. It's ironic that in order to do so, the women, the women were declared to be unclean and not the actual unclean people who made contact with her. Well, whatever, the moms were protected. The childbearing sacrifice at the end of the 40 or 80 days substantially increased the workload, as you can see on the priest. 
If you consider the sacrifices given here to be made by the mother after bearing a child based on the estimated number of women bearing children during that period, I mean, look, 600,000 or so women. You can imagine how busy the priests were at the tabernacle for just this sacrifice alone. Let's face it, priesting was an all-day tedious job back then. At the end of the purification days, she brought a sacrifice to the priest to complete her cleansing process. The offering was to be a lamb, or in the case of those who were poor, two turtle doves, or doves, or two pigeons. Incidentally, we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, that Joseph and Mary brought birds to sacrifice after the birth of Jesus instead of a lamb. And this, of course, speaks to the fact that Joseph and Mary, they were not people of wealth. In chapter 13, we have laws regarding the containment of leprosy. Verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priests. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore has faded, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. When the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, then the priest shall consider. And indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore. It has all turned white, he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean, for the raw flesh is unclean, it is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the sore has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, who has the sore, he is clean. If the body develops a boil in the skin, and it is healed, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright spot, reddish-white, then it shall be shown to the priest. And if, when the priest sees it, it indeed appears deeper than the skin, and its hair has turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore, which is broken out of the boil. But if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs in it, 
and it is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. And if it should at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or if the body receives a burn on its skin by fire, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish white or white, then the priest shall examine it, and indeed, if the hair of the bright spot has turned white, and it appears deeper than the skin, it is leprosy broken out in the burn. Therefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is a leprous sore. But if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs in the bright spot, and it is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it has at all spread over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and is not spread on the skin, but is faded, it is a swelling from the burn. The priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar from the burn. If a man or a woman has a sore on the head or the beard, then the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is in it thin yellow hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of the head or beard. But if the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed if the scale has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the scale, and indeed if the scale has not spread over the skin, and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scale should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and indeed if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest need not seek for yellow hair, he is unclean. But if the scale appears to be at a standstill, and there is black hair grown up in it, the scale has healed, he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. If a man or woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, then the priest shall look, and indeed if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin, he is clean. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. And if there is on the bald head or bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it, and indeed if the swelling of the sore is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean, the priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, his sore is on his head." Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. All right, now get this. On top of everything else the priest had to do, they also served as health inspectors. 
And this chapter that we just read deals with the dreaded disease of leprosy. Yes, that's right. The priests were responsible for protecting the Israelites from the contagious spreading of leprosy. In this chapter, we find directions given on how the priest is to do exactly that. Uh, These detailed descriptions of oozing skin disorders might just take away your appetite. By the way, our word leprosy comes from a Greek word lepra, which means a scaliness. The descriptions that we find here in Leviticus 13 may include more contagious skin ailments than just our modern formal definition for leprosy, but leprosy is the most descriptive word we have in English for the assortment of skin maladies being described in this passage. Really, any skin abnormality was tested by the priest, and those with perceived contagious skin diseases were quarantined. We have the description of the disease as well as the regulations connected with it in this chapter, continuing on into chapter 14. We see the regulations even applied to Miriam, who was Moses' sister, over in Numbers chapter 12, verses 10 through 15. There were reckoned six different circumstances under which it might develop itself. Uh, First of all, without any apparent cause, in verses 2 through 8, its reappearance in verses 9 through 17, or perhaps from an inflammation in verses 18 to 28, on the head or the chin in verses 29 to 37, in white polished spots in verses 38 and 39, and finally at the back or in the front of the head in verses 40 through 44. Lepers were required to live outside the camp or city. We see that specified in Numbers chapter 5 and Numbers chapter 12. This disease was regarded as an awful punishment from the Lord. Uh, Naaman in Second Kings chapter 5 verse 7 and King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26 verse 20, both of them had leprosy. I'm certain that Miriam in Numbers chapter 12 would agree with that assessment after she'd expressed criticism of her brother Moses. As banished from the congregation of Israel for the period of infection, there was a code of conduct to which the leper must adhere. According to verses 45 and 46, whenever the leper saw someone approaching, the leper must warn that person by crying out, Unclean! Unclean! And finally, we see in verses 47 to 59 what's to be done about the leper's clothing. Verse 47, Also, if a garment has a leprous plague on it, whether it is a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it is in the warp or woof of linen or wool, whether in leather or in anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague, and shall be shown to the priest. The priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which has the plague seven days. And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day if the plague is spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather. The plague is an act of leprosy. It is unclean. He shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or woof, in wool or in linen, or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy, The garment shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days. Then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed, and indeed if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague has not spread, it is unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire. It continues eating away." whether the damage is outside or inside. 
If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall wear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the woof or out of the leather. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire that in which is the plague. And if you wash the garment, either warp or woof, or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it should be washed a second time and shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or woof, or in anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. Now these verses deal with infected garments. Of course they were unclean also and had to be dealt with according to these specific instructions. Having read this chapter, let's reconsider the implications of Isaiah chapter 64, 6. That verse begins with this. It says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. These filthy rags, by the way, are certainly the rags that lepers use to wrap their skin. Now, how's that for filthy? You'll see from these 59 verses that God gave the Hebrews exhaustive, specific instructions on evaluating skin diseases. For the safety of others, isolation was the only remedy until it could be determined that they were disease-free. Now, I find verse 40 amusing. It says this, As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. But what about the man who has a receding hairline? Well, there he is in verse 41. It deals with that. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. Well, it stops being amusing, though, between verses 42 and 44. That man lost his hair because of leprosy. By the way, here are some guys who were just thankful to be bald. In other words, sometimes you don't have leprosy at all. you just bald. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.